Hey everybody, it's Michelle from Freaky Friday's podcast. This week we wanted to bring you a special episode of Anything Bones, a sister pod in the Podmoth Network. Check out Anything Bones wherever you listen to podcasts and check out all the other awesome curation of pods at podmoth.network. See you next week. What time is it? Let me check my watch. Oh, it's Bone O'Clock. In olden days, a glimpse of femur was only for morbid dreamers, but you're not alone. Bring anything bones. Two goofy gals with deathly interest go on a skeleton inquest in your headphones. Anything bones. Hello and welcome to Anything Bones. I'm Sophie Schwartz. And I'm Caitlin Hart, and we're here today for Bone Time. What's up? Not in the sexual way. <laughs> uh, on the one or two virtual dates that I have been on during the pandemic, every single one of them has taken the opportunity to make a bone-related joke in a sexual <laughs> way about anything bones. They're like, oh, anything bones? I'm like, come on now. Well, don't, don't come for me. I was just uh, trying to ease us in to, to, <laughs> to this week's episode. Hi, everybody. Let's start over. I'm Caitlin Hart, and this is my best friend, Sophie Schwartz. And we're funny, <laughs> and we hope you're here to, to laugh. Do you like bones? Because you're in the right place. Because <laughs> this is a show about bones and bone-related topics. Yeah. And and it's summer 2021 in the in the city of the hot hot city of Seattle. I have now closed I've closed all my windows to abate the sound of the street. There was a guy yelling in French earlier. You would have been helpful uh, to know what he was distressed about. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I could have gotten a tone at least. So sorry I wasn't there. <laughs> It's I'm okay. Shuttered up in my apartment too, because that's kind of what you do. You you close everything down during the day and you open it up at night. It's what I found works best for me. Things are crazy, but we hope we can take your mind off the world for a little while and take you back to the 1800s yeah. and focus on your bones. Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of tag teaming this week, but in a in a very weird different way we're gonna tackle one person uh, mm-hmm. kind of before and after his death <laughs> yeah because we kind of I was thinking about doing another exhumation and in my research I realized that there was a person who had an extremely bone-filled life and then was exhumed after his death. So I thought, I called Caitlin up early in the morning and said, Katoon Hoon, have a mission for us. <laughs> yeah, it was very surprising. You were like, I have an idea, call me in 30 minutes. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do for 30 minutes while I wonder? And I was sure it had to do with the podcast, but I was like, I don't know. Should I like shower? Should I get ready to go? (laughs) What's the situation? Grab your passport. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've been accused of some things. (laughs) Well, mine's definitely expired. Oopsie. Should we 
should we continue? <laughs> Sorry, continue. Should we just start? Really? Should we start with the story of America's first serial killer, H. H. Holmes? Oh yes, we should. <laughs> well, of course, I was perfectly happy to jump into this topic because H. H. Holmes is. There's a lot to discuss with this dude. And I can't say that I knew a ton about him going into this. So I was excited to round out what I knew about him, you know? Yeah, to me, he's one of the most, like, almost cartoonish in his violence of, like, the things that he did are so horrific that you're like, did that guy really exist? And he really yeah. did. <laughs> well, I'm going to break that down a little bit. Uh Hell Yeah. <laughs> I got all this information from biography.com, Britannica.com, history.com, bustle.com, and all this interesting.com. We're going to go right on back to May 16th, 1861, when H.H. Holmes, aka Herman Webster Mudgett, was born in New Hampshire. Understood why he changed his name. Yeah, we're okay with that. I, I don't mind Herman. It's Mudgett that I don't like as much, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like it could be offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really on the edge there. So by all accounts, he was a member of an affluent family. He had a privileged upbringing and was apparently unusually intelligent from a young age. He also expressed an interest in medicine. Hold up. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that's scary. What's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> At this time, it, it could be a little scary. <laughs> Apparently, he practiced surgery on animals, which Ooh. is one of the pieces of the triad of sociopathy, I believe it's called. You know, hurting it's animals. It's the hurting animals, the... Wetting the bed and setting Setting fires. shit on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Some accounts indicate that he might have killed a friend when he was pretty young. We don't know for oh. sure. It's just a rumor. As a medical student at the University of Michigan, he definitely stole bodies and used them to make fake insurance claims. Um, he might have also <laughs> experimented on them. Who knows? That's wild. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, of course he did. Of course he was Grave Robin. He was not a very good student, apparently, and in 1884, this is crazy, he almost didn't graduate because, quote, a widowed hairdresser accused him of making a false promise of marriage to her. And that would have stopped him from graduating? The scandal of it would have, I guess, <laughs> like if he's arrested, because I think this is something you could actually be arrested for and charged with at this time. So Whoa. if he's accused of a crime, he probably isn't going to graduate medical school, you know, but it's don't, don't... wild. That... I'm sorry, but it's wild that the first crime that they're going to try to get him on. I know this is before a lot of stuff that he's going to do, but the first crime they're going to try to get him on is running out on a lady. Well, <laughs> this is going to be a little bit of a pattern for him, you'll see. But he does graduate from medical school, and in 1886, he moves to Chicago, Illinois. Big lights, big city. <laughs> he takes a job as a pharmacist. Yikes. And this is the time when he goes by... Dr. H.H. H. Holmes. Mm. 
this is kind of okay so part of his mo i guess you would say has to do with the ladies you know (laughs) making women fall in love with him promising them that he would marry them and then you know having sex with them or like defrauding them in some way he also liked to steal property from these people fun he he just had this and like i want to emphasize that a lot of this story is steeped in legend and like yes you know like there's i'm gonna get into it at the end but there's a lot of things that we should take with a grain of salt because we don't actually know if these things are documented in like historical record yeah and he was known to spin a tale about himself exactly exactly But what he is most well known for is, of course, his murder castle. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's just so horrible with such a funny name. I know. This murder castle was, quote, equipped with secret passages, trap doors, soundproof rooms, doors that could be locked from the outside, gas jets to asphyxiate victims, and a kiln to cremate the bodies. Oh my god. This is his Ew. house. This is where he lives. Well, you know, we've been doing a lot of Halloween decor hunting, and I think I'll skip the sh- the body shoot. Yeah, don't bother with the kiln. <laughs> what about my pottery? <laughs> well, if you're using the kiln for good, it, honest purposes, <laughs> I guess I can I can let it slide this time. Only okay. use your kiln for honest purposes. <laughs> yes. So at the alleged peak of his career what's going on in chicago in 1893 it's the world's columbian exposition aka like the world's fair whatever and this is what he's kind of known for people think that he was like bringing in mostly women who were coming to see the world's fair and the exhibition and he would lure them to his murder castle and they would never be seen again that's kind Mm -hmm. of the tale that is told he all, allegedly he required his employees to have life insurance policies where he was the beneficiary and he s- continued during this time to sell bodies to medical school so he was still oh. into that shit oh my god this guy has got it down pat he's like if you die while working for me mm-hmm. i get hella shit also if you die working for me i will sell your body yeah, like yeah, I feel like that's inferred that if he, he didn't kill you, he probably sold you. <laughs> kill or kiln, it's a, it's a toss up <laughs> for this guy at this point. Yeah, <laughs> Holmes leaves Chicago shortly after the World's Fair, you know, for to do more weird shit, mostly with insurance. What we know about H. H. Holmes is that he would pretty much do anything to make money. He had this plan with a guy named Benjamin Pitzel, Pitzel, I don't know, P-I-T-E-Z-E-L. And this guy, <laughs> Ben, was going to fake his death to collect $10,000 from a life insurance company. Okay, all right. Okay, and how'd it go? I mean, it's, it's the late 1800s, so maybe it's kind of original at this point. We don't know. Maybe. Holmes is jailed. For another fraud, and he tells a fellow inmate about this scheme, and that, like, later helps investigators reveal details about this crime. So he he was a talker. 
Yeah, that's what I got from my research, too, was that while he was in prison, dude loved to gab. He did. He really did. So I guess he was in jail for this fraud, but then he got let out and he was able to kill Benjamin and three of his five children. Jesus, come on. Yes. And come on, guy. This was actually like the final crime. This was the thing that put him away. He outran the authorities for several weeks. But then in November 1894, he was apprehended and he told police all kinds of crazy shit. He admitted to killing up to 27 people, maybe. We don't know. He was convicted, though, of the death of this guy, Benjamin. And of course, he appealed, but the case was lost. And at this time, we get these ranges of numbers of what the victims were. So were they, were there a few of them? Were there 27? Or were there as many as 200? Like, yeah. we don't know. <laughs> yeah, and we have no way of knowing because he had such a smooth way of disposing of people. Exactly. He was hung on May 7th, 1896 for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. I think that's how it is pronounced. And he is buried in Philadelphia. The site of his murder house. This is so crazy. Because I was like, okay, (laughs) what happened to the murder house after either like, because it sounded like at one point he like sold it or walked away from it. So I was like, who bought the murder house? (laughs) And how did they not freak out when they saw everything? Or, you know, (laughs) was it just vacant? And then he got arrested and people discovered this, like, what the fuck was going on? Yeah, a place like this doesn't just disappear, you know? So, this is from Bustle. Quote, according to the Chicagoist, an aspiring entrepreneur purchased the building, aka the murder castle, after Mm -hmm. Holmes was hanged for murder, intending to make it a tourist attraction. On August 19th, 1896, at your birthday? My birthday, August 19th. (laughs) A railroad night watchman spotted flames coming through the castle's roof. Seconds later, explosions blew out the first floor windows and the fire was out of control by the time help arrived. 90 minutes after the fire was reported, the roof had collapsed and most of the building demolished. (sighs) Uh, Yeah. Wow. They never figured out who started the fire. They never found anything in the wreckage. Some people think that neighbors did it because they didn't want anybody to find out what had been going on in there. Like, we'll just never know. That makes a lot of sense to me. If I lived next door to a murder house and it was the 1800s and I could get away with burning it down, I might. But like, you just don't want the scandal anywhere near you, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't say if this was like an affluent part of town, but it was Chicago, so it probably was. It had to have been an affluent part of town and maybe the people there didn't want anybody to find out what happened. And if that was the intention, they succeeded. Yeah. And I feel like that happens to a lot of murder houses. They get burned down or demolished in some way, either Mm -hmm. mysteriously or not so mysteriously. (laughs) Yeah. But if you do want to visit the spot where the murder house stood, that is now the Englewood Post Office. Uh Nice. That's basically the closest thing they have to an H.H. Holmes landmark. And I guess it is kind of, weirdly enough, it is a tourist attraction. I mean, 
I don't know. It's dark tourism is hard because I feel like part of me is like, I really want to respect, you know, the fact that people were murdered here, that people had their very last moments of life here. But I also want to see it for myself. Like, yeah, particularly during this time when there was not very much to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we true crime and the scourge of the earth. Uh, that's always been something that has interested people. And I think I've said this before, but anybody that says that this true crime fascination is a new thing or like a millennial thing, it's, it's not. It's just not. <laughs> people have been obsessed with murder since the dawn of time. We're just fucked up enough to talk about it. Exactly. Openly. And you're <laughs> fucked up enough to listen. So there hey, you so there. You're welcome. We love you. Yes. <laughs> okay. Nothing's wrong with you. You're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. True. Okay. Now I'm just going to kind of poke holes in everything that I told you. Hell yeah. So poke H. H.H. H. H. Holmes is notoriously like I started the story with. He is America's first serial killer with the murder castle. And mm -hmm. while this story is crazy and has endured the test of time, obviously that it might not actually have happened. As I kind ah. of alluded to a lot of this story is based on rumors and the fact that this guy told so many lies. He was, I, I wrote here, this motherfucker was a difficult man to know. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he was a tail spinner. <laughs> I like I like this quote. This is from uh what is this from? I think this is from history.com. Quote, whether it was insurance fraud, quack medicine, fake inventions, or elaborate schemes to hide cash from creditors, no con was beneath him so long as there was money in it. He was a compulsive liar who rarely looked people in the eye. I think that's an interesting detail. Mm -hmm. creating new names and backstories for himself to suit his purposes. Sometimes he was the son of an English lord. Other times he had a wealthy uncle in Germany. That's fascinating. There are some people in history who create whole lives for themselves that are completely false. And so it is interesting that we might never know how much of his history is true. Yes, exactly. And I'm going to trust this guy, Adam Selzer. He is the author of H.H. Holmes, The True <laughs> History of the White City Devil. I chose to, to trust him as well. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he knows what he's doing. He thinks that about nine people can really certainly be attributed to being killed by Dr. Holmes. Mm. So like... Like I said earlier, Holmes confessed to 27 murders at one point when he was being interrogated. But a lot of apparently a lot of these people were still alive when he confessed to their murders. So he was just stirring up shit just to <laughs> do it. Can you imagine? H.H. <sighs> Holmes is saying that he has killed you and you're like, what? No, I'm here. I'm alive. What? I'm just I'm in the bar with my wife smoking a cigar. <laughs> You telling me I'm dead? You telling me I'm dead? Me and Dolly been drinking seven and sevens for hours. <laughs> so, okay, he confesses to 27 murders at one point, but how did we get up to 200? And Selzer thinks <laughs> that that is from, quote, a pulp book published in 1940 called Gem of the Prairie by Herbert Asbury. Ooh, what a title. Gem of the Prairie. <laughs> Who's the is gem? He, 
I was gonna ask, is H.H. H. Holmes the gem of the like, prairie? Because that sucks for the prairie. Whose side are you on? Yeah. So Whose side I guess, are you on? <laughs> I guess Herbert said, like, threw out this number, 200, and now it's part of the historical record. So <laughs> I don't know why we believe anything at all at this point. Um, <laughs> what is fact? What is real and what is not? Tell me this. Here's the other thing, and this is a big one. There's no evidence that Holmes ever trapped people inside his hotel. All, of the, all of the people that we know that he killed, he already, he knew them. Like, And mm-hmm. this building that he owned wasn't even really a hotel. The first floor was apparently stores. The second floor had apartments for long-term rental, so not a hotel. And he told people he was going to turn the third floor into a hotel space, but it never was like open to the public. I think he was working on it and then it just never happened, maybe. Oh. So not really sure if he was actually like operating a hotel at this point or not. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Seltzer says about the third floor hotel thing, quote, the whole idea was just a vehicle to swindle suppliers and investors and insurers. So that makes sense to me that he's trying to turn this building into something that it's not or say that he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, because man loved fraud. And this story is already so delicious. So, (laughs) so crazy. But What's going on in this time to make it even crazier? Sophie, I bet you know the answer. I do, but you say it. One, two, three. Yellow Yellow journalism. journalism. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We read the same article. Oh, I'm sure. Some of them. Some of the same articles. (laughs) So newspapers during the 1890s started practicing this art of exaggerating or making up news and that's yellow journalism is just making things up for profit which makes historians so mad (laughs) and this idea was introduced by harold schuster i think that's how you say his name and he wrote depraved the definitive true story of h.h holmes whose grotesque crime shattered turn of the century chicago oh my god but i guess it was originally called depraved the shocking true story of america's first serial killer and he changed the name of his book Because he didn't want to say America's first serial killer is what it seems like to me. Even though he'd be known as that anyway. Well, yeah. Okay. So here is a quote from this guy, Harold Schuster. And I'm sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. Quote, it's my belief that probably all those stories about all those visitors to the World's Fair who were murdered in his quote unquote castle were just complete sensationalistic fabrication by the yellow press by the time i reached the end of my book i kind of realized even a lot of the stuff that i had written was probably exaggerated that's so disheartening right that's so sad he he wrote this book and he had titled it america's first sailor serial killer and then he realized several years later like oh maybe not (laughs) he's like oopsie poopsie Mm, gonna do a retraction and newspapers probably falsely started the claim that he was throwing bodies down chutes. 
it's not that uncommon for these large buildings to have laundry chutes that go yeah. to the basement. I had a laundry chute uh, in my house growing up from my bathroom to the laundry room. It was so tight. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like one of the dorms where we went to school had a trash chute. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess that's convenient. Weird, but... If you're on, like, the third floor and you gotta take out <laughs> yeah, the trash, you don't you're lazy your... as shit like me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was an old wives' tale. Like, oh, this this dorm has a trash chute. They don't even have to, like, get out of bed to throw the trash away. It doesn't matter. Anyway. God, we had such lame rumors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not very exciting. Ooh, did you hear? One of the dorms has a trash chute. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so really... The moral of the story is that all of these kind of myths and legends that were exaggerated by the press at the time do actually obscure the stories of the nine likely victims of H.H. Yeah. H. Holmes. This was Julia Connor and her six-year-old daughter, Pearl. They had disappeared mm-hmm. Christmas time, 19... Oh, God. Whoa. 1891. <laughs> I guess Holmes was having an affair with Julia and got her involved in some of his business shit. He, at some points in his life, denied killing her and then confessed to accidentally killing her while he was giving her an abortion. Nobody ever heard from her and Pearl, like, after she was with Holmes. But that probably happened a lot in this time. I I don't know. These are... This is what the historical record seems to agree are his victims. So I guess Mm -hmm. I'm just in in the mindset of, like... This might not be true, but, you know, if this, yeah, I need to switch that off because this part is most likely true. <laughs> Over the next couple of years, people think that he murdered Emmeline Sigrand, uh, Minnie Williams, and her sister, Nanny Williams. They, mm. all of them, I guess, had personal and business relationships with him, and it's, nobody ever really heard from them. And then, of course, there was plenty of evidence for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel and his three children. That's the case or the part of the story where he actually gets caught and gets charged and hung for what he did. And he was just shy of his 35th birthday, 35th birthday when he died. Yeah. Woof. Happy birthday, bud. Sorry, you suck. He definitely did murder people. He was a serial killer. He may yeah, not he just have wasn't had... as. <laughs> He may not have had trash shoots where bodies were just like sliding down every day, but maybe he (laughs) did. I don't know. I'm just telling you, we don't know the truth. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's H.H. Holmes right up until he was hung to death. He was hung to death. And that's where I'll pick it up. Nice. That's how we wanted it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I will pick it up. You did life, I shall now do death. First, my sources. An article from the Chicago Tribune, two articles from the Philly Voice, which were incredibly helpful. Thank you so much to them. And then an article from the Rolling Stone. We are hopping in our time machine, and we're cranking it forward to a more familiar time, 2017. Oh. (laughs) March 2017. The Delaware County Court granted permission for the exhumation of the body of H.H. Holmes. Oh, my God. When you said, okay, so obviously I knew that he was going to be exhumed, but I thought it was going to be a robbery for sure. 
no, 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 no. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Yeah. This is, this is fantastic. So this goes along. This is my third installment, my sneaky third installment of Dig 'em Up, Get 'em Out, <laughs> which I harangued Caitlin into. I wanted to do a modern exhumation. And it's interesting that this is a, you know, it's a fun story from the past, but now we have this coda now. So 2017, so it was up to the University of Pennsylvania's anthropology department to exhume this body that was buried in a grave and perform DNA analysis on it. Because the whole thing is that we're not sure because of the rumors, because of the lies, because of the yellow journalism, because of the fogginess of the time, we are not sure if the person who is buried in H.H. H. Holmes' grave is H.H. H. Holmes. I'm not convinced. Well, yeah, we'll get we'll go on down through it. So the court had very specific rules of how they wanted this exhumation done, because modern exhumations, unlike some of the ones that we've talked about, you know, that happened in 800 or so you know, have a lot more rules and regulations around them. So for this, the court said it orders that the remains be reinterred in the same gravesite in the cemetery, regardless of whether those remains are determined to be H.H. Holmes or not. Okay, that's so good. So you got to put them back where they were. And I also read that the if it turns out not to be H.H. Holmes, the family of H.H. Holmes has to pay for damages and stuff to the other family, another family for exhuming their person. Whoa. Yeah, so stakes. The court also ordered that if they were going to exhume Holmes, they had to return him to the ground in 120 days. So they can't keep him out, unfortunately. The court also ordered that, quote, no commercial spectacle or carnival atmosphere shall be created either by this event or any other incident pertaining to the remains, end quote. So they basically want to prevent what was happening at the murder castle before it was burnt down of people coming and rubbernecking and like making a big old scene about it, which you absolutely know. If Murderinos had found out about the exhumation of H.H. H. Holmes and were allowed to attend, it would have been a fucking madhouse. I think so. I think so. People would have been dying to just catch a glimpse of his bones. They would be dying? Uh-huh. Okay, so Dr. Samantha Cox and Dr. Janet Mong are scientists at University of Pennsylvania's Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, and they start the process of exhuming the body, which is buried at Holy Cross Cemetery. As Caitlin said, he was officially executed nine days before his 35th birthday on May 7th, 1896. But rumors have persisted since his death, of course, that he actually escaped. Of course. <laughs> so now his descendants are really interested to find out if these remains are indeed his. So around this time, a History Channel documentary, American Ripper, have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but it was mentioned in some of my sources too. <laughs> of course. So this documentary is looking to like explore the rumors and suspicion around his death. And the great, great grandchild of H.H. H. Holmes, Jeff Mudgett... Jeff is here. Yeah. The yeah, name yeah, yeah. survived. Mudget yeah. survived. Oh my of God. Of course it did. I, is this available now? Like, I need to watch this. Maybe we'll watch it in the next couple of weekends. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be fun if you can handle it. Yeah, I'm a weenie. 
Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean that to come out so aggressively. No. no, as we know, Caitlin is able to watch a lot more crime stuff. I like to listen to it. If I see it, it's too scary. If I hear it, it's not that scary. Okay, one of the big rumors is that after he was supposedly executed, he actually ended up bribing the officials to put a cadaver in his stead, and then he tiptoed off to England where he continued his killing spree as Jack the Ripper. They are kidding. They want it so badly. They want it so badly. That's actually a theory I had not thought of or heard before. So that's blowing my mind right now. It's a big theory. And I wanted, I didn't quite have time, but I wanted to check the dates and see if that is even possible. I think you know, it is. Like, historically, I think it is as well. Hey friends, future Sophie here. I'm just coming in to do a little bit of fact checking on this old Jack the Ripper theory. So our guy Mudget, as we remember, died in 1896 and the active years for Jack the Ripper are 1888 to 1891. So he would have had to be over in England concurrently killing while he was still in the United States getting up to all this bullshit that we talked about. So I think we can go ahead and say that this theory is false. Now back to you, me. Another theory has him, again, bribing people, switching a cadaver out, and then heading on down to South America. Sure. Uh, one of the things that also pokes holes in the South America rumor is that he's supposed to have gone to this small town in Paraguay that does not exist. So... Again, we can probably disprove that one. That'll hurt you. That'll hurt you. On the subject of people he said he killed but were really alive, Robert Latimer. <laughs> he was a janitor at H.H. H. Holmes' Big Ol' Castle of Murder and claimed that in 1898 he had seen letters that proved that Holmes had connected with his lawyer and priest and the jail into burying a dead man in his place. And then according to our friend Adam Seltzer, Holmes had apparently claimed that he killed Latimer, who was a former employee, but he was super alive at the time that these that he was claiming to have killed this guy. And he also was asked to produce these letters at one point and couldn't. So again, yeah, you know, he did say Latimer insisted that he thought that his, you know, former boss, H.H. H. Holmes, escaped to New York and then, like the other, like the other story, escaped to South America. So that one's a little more prevalent, which I think is funny. So to definitively figure out whether Holmes is buried in this grave, Jeff Mudgett and the History Channel have gotten Monge and Cox, the University of Pennsylvania archaeologists, to oversee this disinterment. Oh, my God. So... Holmes had left specific instructions as to his burial. Did you know this? No. Okay. So his instructions for his burial was that he wanted to be laid to rest in a pine box that was then covered with seven 3,000 pound barrels of concrete. Oh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you sneaky bastard. What are you hiding? Well, Caitlin, do you know? I bet you can figure out why he wanted this. Because he thought that nobody would try and dig him up and ask this fucking question. 
Exactly. Well, he didn't want people to dig him up. So it was to, quote, ensure his body against vandalism or scientific curiosity of ghouls. <laughs> yes. And that's according to the, that's a quote from the Chicago Tribune. He was also buried 10 feet underground as opposed to the standard six. God. And they just did it. They were like, oh, this murderer wants all of these things. Let's do it. No problem. Well, we're actually unsure at this point whether they honored his requests or not. Okay. But if they did, he would be extremely well-preserved and probably well-preserved enough to do DNA testing on. That's what we're hoping at this point. So the exhumation turned out to be way more dramatic and complicated than anyone could have hoped for. (laughs) I could have predicted that given the way this podcast works. So these ladies, Monge and Cox, are anthropologists and they're under an extremely tight deadline. They're working under a lot of pressure because this exhumation is pretty important, you know, to both this family, this documentary, history in general. But they also ended up figuring out that there could also be a life-threatening element to this exhumation because through their research, they are scientists, they're very thorough, so before they even started this exhumation, they were going through and reading absolutely everything about him. And during this time, during, you know, like his trial and stuff like that, there were a lot of medical interest in him because doctors of the time were trying to find like a physiological reason for his evilness, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if we go back to phrenology, you know, stuff like that, where they were trying to figure out, is there something physically about him that we can figure out to see what what makes him so evil. And so his medical records were in the Journal of American Medical Association. So through tracking this down, they figured out that he had tuberculosis. So their concern at the moment is that TB is a highly infectious airborne bacteria, and it attacks your kidneys and your spine and your brain. And if it is still alive and virulent in the corpse... It could pose a problem for the people doing the exhumations. Like, he killed them after he did. Wow. That's, yeah, shit. Yeah. (laughs) And this time, you know, this would be wild and maybe we wouldn't even do this. But, you know, they were, like, consulted several scientists and infectious disease experts. And they gave them a strong maybe. Oh. (laughs) And so kind of given this concern over tuberculosis, Cox decided that everyone on the scene is going to wear masks and gloves and only a very small number of people are going to be involved in this thing. So digging up homes is also going to create a lot of other challenges, which is like unlike exhuming modern burials, which is relatively easy. All you have to do (laughs) is, as Cox would say, quote, you just lift out the lid and lift out the coffin. (laughs) Great. But for most 19th century burials, coffins went straight into the ground, and Pennsylvania has very acidic soil. So they are worried that if they didn't honor H.H. Holmes's request, he might be soup. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. I'm on the edge of my seat. I know, right? They also had the hard deadline for this. Like I said before, Holy Cross Cemetery, where Holmes is buried, was like, hey, you better exhume this shit by Mother's Day because I don't want to see you here on Mother's Day. Yeah, the mothers will be so hurt. 
and a bald. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here are our team of exhumation Avengers. <laughs> They've assembled them from all walks of science. We've got two scientists plus the History Channel team, plus experts in concrete construction and cutting. We also have doctors involved. We also have a geophysicist named Dr. Tim Bechtel, who's going to be a hero later. We also have Dr. Peter Cobbs, who performed a 3D photogrammic, photogrammetric mapping of the gravesite. So he like did the ground penetrating radar and all that fun stuff. Cool. Plus some people from the local dental school to to help identify the remains. So it was about 30 people. Wow. So there are a lot of different challenges in digging him up. First off, H.H. Holmes' burial plot is in an unmarked grave. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so they're able to find it, of course. But the archaeologists also came with a lot of heavy equipment. They brought backhoes, flatbed trucks, and equipment that is used to hoist statues in case they have to lift the whole, like, block of cement out of the ground. Yeah. Oh, my God. This must have been quite a production. It was. And we had to hide it from all the mothers. (laughs) (laughs) So a day or two into this excavation... That's a hard one. That's a hard word. They found something that they totally did not expect. They found a wooden coffin just buried about barely six feet down. Oh, my God. They're like, huh. So they use the backhoe. They get it out. And then they kind of dig it up by hand. And this is really weird because the reports around Holmes's burial, he had been buried 10 feet down, not six. And according to like handwritten margins, you know, in the side covered in concrete. This coffin, however, was eight feet long, two feet wide, two feet deep. And there was concrete around it, but it had never properly set and become this like weird, heavy clay mixture. But the coffin itself is intact. Takes three days for them to get this fucking coffin out of there. They saw it open. And guess what? What? That fucker's empty. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And they were already, they thought that it was going to take them five days to exhume him. And they're already five days in. And And all they've exhumed is an empty empty coffin. Empty coffin. What the fuck? And, you know, Mongs has a really good point. She says, quote, lots of famous folks are moved from where they're supposed to be buried. So it's not that uncommon for it to happen. So they're not surprised, but they're not happy. So on that fifth day, they get everybody together and they're like, should we keep doing this? And Cox is like, and Cox says, quote, we wanted to know what was under that box. So they keep going. Yeah, I think that's fair. I wrote like a fucking champ. Cox keeps going. The next thing that they do is they drill little holes at the bottom of the fake coffin because they didn't actually get it out. They just kind of excavated around it. But so they dig tiny holes into the fake coffin, which they think is a decoy. They yeah. think that it was purposely put in there to for this exact reason. And they're trying to put these little probes down through this other coffin to see what's underneath. Definitely. Our boy, hero, Tim Bechtel, the geophysicist, gets down in there like there's groundwater coming up so so he's like sloshing through water in this trench of a grave and he's he's like putting the little probes in the holes and then within four inches quote we hit something solid oh oh my god 
How exciting. I know. So they get back down in there with their hand tools and their own fucking fingers. That's something that they read is that they have to be so delicate with this kind of stuff. They're like, oh, we could use our cool archaeology brushes. But honestly, I'm just going to lightly dust it off with my hands. (laughs) And so they find concrete. And that's a good thing because that's what we want to find, right? Mm -hmm. And they're chipping away at this concrete to carefully expose the coffin underneath. And Cox is kind of standing outside of the trench on the side and she's about to actually give an interview for like this documentary and then she looks down into the trench where they're chipping this stuff down her eyes fall down to the casket and she sees that the name mudget and hh holmes are written in black wax pencil on top of the casket oh man that must have been so crazy It must have been fucking nuts. Now, like, they have to get it out and they have to get him out. Yeah, so much, so many things to do. So little time. Right? And the whole thing is so delicate. Like, if you breathe on this shit, it's going to fall apart. So what they do is they don't know where he is inside of his coffin because it was kind of a bigger coffin. And also you can shift around. It's a valid thing. So they insert a tiny boroscope, which is what like they use in like microscopic like surgery, like to look inside the body. Yeah. And they go into the coffin and they can't really see a lot. They're like inconclusive. So they end up breaking the coffin open at the middle because they think that that's the best like way of avoiding damaging him. And they uh, they hit around the pelvic region. So for the next 12 hours, the crew chisels the concrete and pumps out the groundwater and trying to get the remains of H.H. Holmes out of this coffin. So they've taken, they've broken it open and now it's just filled with water. And so finally they pump out all the water and they see his corpse and they're the first people to see him in 120 years. Damn. How crazy is that? And his mustache was still intact. Gross. That, oh, that really hurts my feelings for some reason. I don't like that. <laughs> You're personally offended by the persistence of his mustache? <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know that as soon as air hit it, it flaked off of his skull. Oh my god, gross. He was wearing boots, a waistcoat, a suit coat, but no pants. That's a weird thing. Well, they think... That the reason that he's not wearing pants is that he might have pooped himself when he got hung. Yeah, I mean, I guess I know that happens, but why would they even, I mean, why would they bother taking his pants off? I don't know. But why bury a murderer pantsless? I don't understand. Yeah, oh, that's a weird, creepy detail. Ugh. Yeah, but on his chest lay a metal cross engraved with the name H.H. Holmes. So... It's becoming a little more likely that it's probably him. And his brain actually remained intact inside of his skull. Wow. And Cox actually says that this is fairly common in ancient burials because the skull protects the brain from like what Monge calls the bacteria soup that is hanging out in your like digestive area that is a big aid in decomposing your body. Mm. So like it can't get up there. So your brain usually stays pretty well preserved, which is cool. So it took the archaeologists 10 days to exhume this serial killer. And 
they want to use, of course, DNA testing to identify him, but it's not really too common to do this to ancient remains. And I mean, he's not ancient, but he's past like the 10 year mark where people usually use it. So they actually had a very hard time finding a lab in the US that was able to do these tests for them. So they actually had to send it off to King's College in England. Oh, yeah. For them to do the testing. Wow. And so in order to get the sample for our friends at King's College, Monge and Cox have to drill into Holmes's skull to get some of this undisturbed DNA that wasn't degraded or contaminated in any way. And so they used a diamond bit drill to bore into like the base of the skull at the bone that's like protects the ear canal. And it's one of the densest bones in the human body. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. And so they get a few grams of bone matter because bone matters and they send it off to England. And so this is going to take a while. So they're like, while we wait, let's try some other ways of trying to match him, match the body to H.H. Holmes. So they take a scan of his entire body and his skull was sent off to a dental school to have his teeth x-rayed. And it's interesting because while they were waiting on the DNA, they ended up using his medical records that were published. Remember those? Mm hmm fingerprinting was was like not even a thing it was barely a thing at this time so like victorian doctors would take super precise measurements of criminals like all of their body parts right. and their heads you know measure their bumps to try to explain why they were you know acted the way that they did and cox said that there were a lot of very fun victorian things in this report quote Things like, we should have known he was a degenerate because his left arm is an inch and a half longer than his right. And we should have known he was a psychopath because of the lump in his head. But within all that is some wonderful data we can use now. <laughs> I like that. Oh, a little high five from the past. Yeah, I mean, but I was looking one of my arms longer than the other. Am I a degenerate? I don't think, I think mine are about the same, but I... Now I'm questioning everything. Listener at home, if you want to figure out if you're degenerate, see if one of your arms is longer than the other. So Penn uh, scientists were able to match the skull from the gravesite to a drawing of H.H. Holmes's lump, skull lumps. <laughs> yeah. Phrenology bullshit. Phrenology bullshit. See our episode with Gus. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He talked about phrenology. But they also found something odd in the public record that you will really love. He is listed at kind of the average height of five foot eight. But based on the skeleton, this man would have been five two. What? Mond says that she suspects that he wore lifts in his shoes. <laughs> well. <laughs> because there's a fucking con artist to the end. I he, guess. Everything about him was a lie. I and I guess. mean, I... I sympathize with him because I wear four inch platforms every day, but six they're inches visible. though? Five, yeah, that's a lot. That's a that big is difference. So much. Between five yeah, two shit. and five eight? Jesus. I don't know about that. Another mystery in this goddamn story. Yeah. And kind of on the subject of mysteries, DNA results come back. First round of DNA results come back. And they are inconclusive god damn it 
you guys, come on. So the scientists in England were hoping to like match up uh, sequences of 16 or 17 haplogroups, which is like the collection of genes that are uniquely inherited from like our parents, our great grandparents, our ancestors in general, to Jeff Mudgett. But ultimately, they were like we said, it was inconclusive. And they took a further seven months to try to keep testing it. This is a quote from Cox, quote, the best we can say at the end is that this skeleton we had is a relation to the Mudgett family. We could have never been able to say this is H.H. Holmes from Monge. Quote, a lot of people don't understand the scientific process where they think there's an end, but really no. There's always a new avenue, a new lab, a new process. End quote. Honestly, it was never going to be definitive, but they... To the best of their abilities, they were able to link Jeff with H.H. Holmes. And kind of to to sum this up, Cox says, quote, The family actually wanted for us to keep the skeleton, but the court order and the archdiocese, which they had to get approval from to exhume this guy, mandated that we rebury him. So that's what happened. So H.H. Holmes was excavated on May 6th and went back to his grave on August 31st, and he was buried in a white coffin. Probably no concrete this time. Hell no. (laughs) They just stick that fucker right in the ground. But I thought, you know, a modern exhumation has so many steps to it. It has so many rules and regulations, you know. It It used to be that you could just trot off to a graveyard, dig yourself up a body, and there you go. But to, to solve this mystery, to try to unravel these lies that are 100 plus years old, you know, it's some things are lost to time and not even DNA can give us something definitive, you know? Yeah, we can't always make things fit into a yes or no category. Sometimes there's a gray area. Sorry. Well, like Monge and Cox were kind of saying is that like, The scientific process is always ongoing. There's never an end to it. They could sit and study that skeleton for years, for their entire career, and learn everything about it, but they're not allowed to. Yeah. They have to put them back. So weird. That's kind of an archaic rule, it seems like. Like, you have to put him back. I think we should make an exception for this guy. I don't know. I don't know. Just what an interesting story. I didn't realize that this had happened. I, was this in the news? Like, <laughs> I don't know. We were, no, we were out of school. We were out in the world. We had every opportunity to hear about this and didn't. So maybe it was local news, but I just don't even remember hearing anything about this. I don't know. I My mom brought it up to me. Because she, I was talking to her this morning and she was like, what are you going to do for the podcast? I was like, I don't know. I want to do a modern exhumation. She was like, hey, wasn't that guy who killed a bunch of people exhumed? And I was like, mother, you're like going to have to be way more specific than that. And she was like, he had a house that he murdered people in. It was a murder house. It was like uh, like a castle in Chicago. I was like, ah, H.H. Holmes. And I was like, they exhumed him? And she was like, hell yeah. And I looked it up and I was like, mother, you dirty bastard. <laughs> you brilliant woman. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a good one. Thanks for thanks for suggesting this, so I think we're gonna yeah, well, I think thanks our to listeners Suzanne. will have learned a lot. I learned a lot. Me too. I 
feel like there was a lot of stuff I didn't know about him, didn't clearly kind of know his story, didn't know the stuff about the fraud. Like, No, <laughs> he really, really liked insurance fraud, it sounds like, and women. <laughs> Defrauding <laughs> women was a big one, too. <laughs> There's two things in this world I love. Women and defrauding women. (laughs) Well, we've reached the end of our 45th episode. This is pretty crazy. Fuck. Yeah. And shit. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 45. That just kind of hit me all at once. Um, But Boneheads, we are going to take a little brief hiatus for a few weeks starting now. Sophie's got some, uh, well, why don't you tell them what you got coming up? Well, I am going to be performing with my group, the Maple Daddies, at Seattle Sketch Fest at uh, 6.30 on September 4th at Unexpected Productions, which is down in Pike Place Market. So if you're in town and you are vaccinated and have a mask to wear... You can come down and sit in a theater with other people to watch me perform live. And we're putting together the show and it should be a really great time. So if you are in town, I would love to see, I'd love to see some boneheads, maybe meet some new boneheads that I don't know. I would love to see you guys out there. Yeah. Proof of vaccination and masks are required. It's going to be a super fun show, but it's going to be a super intense time because I haven't been on stage in 18 odd months or however long this fucking thing has been going on and i love performing so i i need a little bit of time to to prep to prep myself to go home to the stage yeah yeah um i (laughs) i am just you know gonna be at the show to support sophie and then during our hiatus i will be seeing my family a little bit and uh what else oh i'll be getting a tattoo (laughs) hell yeah me and my mom are getting tattoos yeah not matching tattoos but we're getting tattoos together um i'm going to be in a wedding coming up soon so there's just it's a busy time so we hope you understand that we just take a few weeks off but we will see you real soon. We've got a catalog of 44 other episodes you can listen to if you're liking what you're hearing. And uh, we love you. We'll see you soon. Yeah. And one episode of, of bonus content if you hop on the website. Oh, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. We love you guys so much. Thanks for all of your support. And we'll see you soon. Be easy on your bones. Appreciate your bones. Hell yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Bone Bone Voyage. Nailed it. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Anything Bones. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Anything Bones Podcast or email us at anythingbonespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Nick Kruger for our spooky music and Stephen Vetteroff at Chubby Scrubby on Twitter for our jazzy vocals. And thank you to Camilla Franklin at Camilla Strader on Instagram for our beautiful bony artwork. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Yellow journalism. <laughs> okay. Thank <laughs> you.